0: Liz Ellis has won two Commonwealth Gold Medals, three World Championships, four National League titles and four Most Valuable Player Awards during her 18-year career in netball. She's now released a book that is about something completely different. (laughs) It's called If at First You Don't Conceive. And I just want to read a quote that Liz has put in the opening of this book by Dorothy Parker. It says, love is quicksilver in the hand. Leave the fingers open and it stays clutch it and it darts away. And then Liz adds... After this, the same can be said for fertility. Liz and her husband, Matthew, experienced secondary infertility and went through a long and winding road to have their second child. Her book is an attempt to support other couples through their experiences with infertility. Hi, Liz. How are you? I'm um, well, thanks, Siobhan. How are you? Thanks Good for having me. Pleasure. Let's let's start at the very beginning. Um, how do you actually define infertility?
1: Uh, you know, that's a tough one. Actually, it's, I've defined it in the very opening pages of my book, and they're the pages that I read wrote the most. So the infertility that a lot of us know, or a lot of us think we know, is that you've tried to fall pregnant for six months or 12 months and you can't fall pregnant. And then you you do really fall into that infertility. But the World Health Organization actually has uh, broadened that definition, which I really quite like, to include um, where uh, you are unable to fall pregnant and it doesn't have to be medically. So if you are in um, a same-sex relationship or something like that, you generally are deemed infertile. And that's not important for a lot of people, a lot of heterosexual couples who might be trying to access fertility but for the same-sex couples, it's important because it, it opens those fertility doors to them, and super important, I guess, in um, in the society we live in now, that the ability to form a family is just such a, a, a primal, or such a vital ability, and it's such a primal need, um, regardless of the situation you find yourself in.
0: It is such a a deeply personal experience and one that I'm not sure many people understand if they haven't been through it. Is there any way of describing it to someone, what it's like to find out that you're infertile for whatever reason, you can't have a child? How do you explain that to people?
1: It's difficult, you know. You can talk. There's words, obviously. See, I'm infertile, and but then people like with us, we had secondary infertility, as you mentioned. So if you are telling someone you were going through fertility treatment, they were like, "Oh, but was Evelyn? How? Like you could see the confusion on their face." And the irony of me writing this book while my 2 year old wasn't still sleeping through the night <laughs> wasn't lost on me so because there's so many different gradients and there's so many different things but it's really quite difficult to do and i guess if you but if you were to describe the feeling of it to somebody of of being infertile it is almost like all the stages of grief there is denial there is anger there is frustration there is a sense of loneliness you feel like you're so alone through the course of your journey there is um, a sense that you are that you it is confusing because you don't know what information to trust you don't know where to find the right information i always had a sense as i was going through treatment that i was missing something i'm missing there's something really important that i'm not doing yet i had the best um, fertility specialists that that money can buy essentially that australia has a a huge um, a great industry of 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 medical specialists who are well trained in in infertility. So, you know, even though you've got access to all of these people, you still feel like there's something that you're missing. You know, am I missing a a, a particular natural therapy? Am I missing a supplement? What am I missing? So it is, and there's a sense that you are out of control. You have no control over what's happening to you.
0: From the outside looking in, I've had friends who have had this experience and decided to try IVF, and we can talk about. IVF and infertility in a minute because it does become an assumption that's what we yes. do straight away. But what I have seen and witnessed from the sidelines is this almost unending cycle of hope and despair and hope and despair. And as a friend, I just wanted to go up to my friend and shake her and say, please give yourself a break. Please give your emotion your emotional self, your physical self a break from this process. Um but, of course, I'm on the sidelines. I can't understand what's going on in her head. Have you seen that happen where you you just keep trying because there's always a sliver of hope that this time it might work?
1: Yes, and you get so – it's so hard to see – the forest for the trees, because you're so focused on the next two weeks, the needles, the specialist appointments, the blood tests, the egg harvesting, and like, and this is when you're in the process of IVF. And what there's a couple of points to make here. One is that when I was writing this book, I wanted to make it really clear that it's not just a natural progression to go from you ha- you try to fall pregnant naturally for six months or twelve months, and we talk I talk about those time because. If you are over 35 and you've been trying for six months, that's when you should seek help. If you're under 35, then you can. Then the generally accepted wisdom is that you try for 12 months before you seek help. I say seek help when you think you need it, regardless of your age, regardless of where you're at. But the thing that lots of that we fall into the trap of thinking is that you try, you don't fall pregnant naturally. So the very next thing you do is IVF. Whereas IVF really, and this is the words of an IVF specialist, it should be the treatment of last resort. So, I want people to understand through the course of this book that there are so many ways that you can tackle infertility there's so many treatments around, and you really should start with doing the stuff that's that's easy and on the whole cheap. look at your lifestyle do you need is it do you need to ditch uh, cigarettes? you need to look at your alcohol consumption, look at your food consumption. Are you doing too much exercise? not enough exercise. So get yourself healthy first. often that can lead to a greater chance of success of conceiving naturally. If it doesn't, it actually sets you up for a much healthier pregnancy and your children are much healthier as a result. So there's stuff that you need to do before you go anywhere near IVF. But yes, once you get to IVF, it is such a tunnel that you get in and you can't see where you should get off. And so uh, in this book, I've asked that people before they start that fertility treatment to just uh, spend some time thinking about before they get into the emotional roller coaster of the treatment when they're feeling quite rational, at what point do you pull the pin, right? Is it when we've spent X amount of dollars, if it's, and it's hard to reduce your desire to have a baby to a crass thing like dollars. Is it once you hit your 40th birthday or your 45th birthday, is it a certain period of time? And- I go through this in the book, but the way you make decisions when you're rational, you use a particular part of your brain that is good for rational thinking. When you're in the middle of a huge emotional upheaval, the the decision-making part of your brain reverts to what's called your lizard brain, right? It's something very primitive right at the base of your brain, and it's used for fighting fear- and let's say reproduction because we're a family show, right? So it's all about <laughs> trying to – the the primal urges that you have, right, from the very beginning of time about making a family. And when that piece of your brain is making the decision, it says, go, keep going until you get your baby. So just think about it. And then that's your flag, and that helps you get out of it. But uh, if you are the – the friend of someone who's looking in, for God's sake, don't walk up to them and say, take a break. Maybe sit with them and be with them and talk about what their options are and help them to explore that. But the last thing you want when you're in the middle of this fertility stuff, especially if you if you haven't, if you're getting, if it's someone who hasn't been through it, don't give them advice. And I think that's the worst thing. Sometimes you get advice and you think, I don't want advice. I just want my friend to be with me.
0: Relax, breathe, go on holidays. Yeah. It'll it'll happen naturally. (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, I never thought of that. Yeah, right. You know, all the
1: stupid advice. You Put your legs in the air afterwards. I thought that's how you got there in the first place. So, you know, there's all this stuff that is stupid advice that people tell you. Eat avocados. Right. I can't
0: afford it. I I can't even
1: eat avocados and have a house in Sydney. That's all there is to (laughs) it.
0: And you have... um, asked friends and other people that um, have gone through this to tell their stories and you have a letter from a friend of yours who's a a journalist. It was very funny and she said a young woman who hadn't had kids suggested to her that if she bought red knickers and tried hula hoop dancing Yes! (laughs) But the best part about it was, I mean, the best and saddest part about it was she went and bought the knickers and the and yep. the hula hoop. And it kind of, that in itself just tells the story about where your head's at yeah, and because, how, what you'll try.
1: Because that's what I was talking about before, you think about what have I missed? Oh, my God, I've missed the hula hoop. <laughs> oh, my gosh, I've missed the red knickers. And for this friend of mine who absolutely prides herself on being a rational, savvy, objective, cynical woman it's her sense of shame that she actually went, you know what? I went and bought the hula hoop and the red knickers. But, you know, so there is this sense that you feel like you have to try everything. And when I got to the end of our treatment uh, and after we'd had our baby, I had all this information in folders and I thought, this is stupid. I've got all this information and I've got all these thoughts about it in my head. You go into fertility treatment and you think, there is no. Um, strategy. There's no planning. I, I feel like I'm walking through a snowstorm and everything I need is white. I can't find what I need. Whereas looking back, you can actually see that there is a way to strategize and plan for it. And I thought I need to put it in a book to help other people.
0: You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Liz Ellis. Her book is called If at First You Don't Conceive: Your Friendly Guide to Tackling Infertility. Um, We're just talking then, Liz, about you know once you get into that cycle. Let's say that you've gone through different treatments, you've started IVF, and you're so wrapped up in it emotionally, not to mention all the hormones that course through your body. Do you? Is there ever a duty of care? For those that are offering the fertility treatment to turn around and say to someone, look, you've tried this many times. We don't think this is going to work for you. And does that happen?
1: It does happen. It doesn't happen enough. And I think before you get to that point, you need to just be careful about who you trust your fertility with. And. There is no doubt, and I discovered this through the course of researching for my book, there is no doubt that some infertility or if some people who provide fertility treatment are far better than others, and there are some places who don't use the latest technology, who churn patients through. And from talking to people who had been to both places, it was their gut feeling that, that really Sort of gave them that idea, and we've seen it in the news you know there's some fertility places where they've got a really high success rate and some have a really low success rate but those t- those statistics aren't published they're not publicly available so you have to sort of use intuition I've included some questions that you can ask around the statistics that they provide on their website so that you get a sense of this and that and there's some questions around um, that you can ask around you know, how long you grow your how long they'll grow your embryos for, which will tell you whether they've got the right technology. So this is stuff that I didn't know until I got underneath the surface and started looking and I found some people who were willing to talk to me um, anonymously to help me understand, you know, how how you can get there. But there are certainly places that will say uh, there are doctors that will say, look, I think you're at the point my fertility specialist said to me, I think you're at the point you you're forty-one you know, we're not, it's diminishing returns. We're getting two and three eggs every cycle. Think about whether this is good for you. The hard part is that's a really hard thing to listen to. So it's not only being told that. I mean, there are some places that will say, try this, you know, why don't we try immune, immune suppressant sort of therapy, which that should have massive alarm bells because it's a bit of, would you like fries with that? Not only are they getting you to do another cycle, they're actually getting you to buy more services from them. So think about what you're being sold but if someone says to you, a specialist says to you, the returns are diminishing, really think about whether you're prepared to do this, then you need to listen. And I say to people at the start of the book, be your best advocate, be the person who asks the questions. Don't wait, don't let things slip because you're waiting for somebody else to come up with something. Doctors have a lot of patients. You only have you, so worry about you. But there is all, the flip side of that is be a good patient will listen.
0: I know that your book is about um, helping people go through this process, but I'm wondering if we can take it a little step further. And that is, I've often wondered, um, once you go through all this effort to have a baby, is pregnancy and then actually having a baby in some ways harder for those who've gone through IVF? Because the expectation is you have desired this for such a long time that doesn't make pregnancy more comfortable, doesn't make breastfeeding easier, doesn't make the baby sleep through the night. So all the things that all parents face, those who've tried very hard for a very long time still have to face. Does it make it more difficult to be pregnant, seeing how you've both fallen pregnant? Both. Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> I guess for me, I my first pregnancy happened really quickly. Evelyn was on her way, we were pregnant six weeks after we decided we'd like to try and fall pregnant. Amazing. So, with her, I went through this pregnancy where I bonded from the start. I talked to her from the get go. You know, I had this amazing pregnancy, no anxiety. She came out all happy. Then you have, not only did I have fertility treatment, but I had three miscarriages between Evelyn and Austin, right? So, the moment I was pregnant with him, I just told myself he is hardly likely to go the same way as the three previous pregnancies. I'm not even going to allow myself to think about it to have hope. So it takes for me it took and this isn't not the case for everyone, but there is a level of anxiety, and a lot of women protect themselves I did by not allowing themselves to bond with the baby until much much later. I didn't I didn't not that I didn't pay him attention. I didn't allow myself to think too much about him when I was pregnant until I felt him move. And then I thought, right, you're probably going to be here for the long run. So that was at about 20 weeks. My parenting was different. Infertility taught me to be patient. And so I was far more patient as a parent with both of my kids, you know, after that. Um, But I did, and I think being through infertility and going through miscarriages, it just increases the anxiety levels. Now, I'm not a particularly anxious person, but I've spoken to people who are very anxious and they found that their anxiety levels skyrocketed. Um, and then, like, I th- the assumption is if you've been through infertility, once you're pregnant, the journey's over, but it's not. It's just a start of a whole nother journey that... Uh, is just overlaid with this level of anxiety around loss, and what if i don 't do it properly, and then, because you've had so much time to create this beautiful baby of your dreams in your in your mind when they come out it's an, it can be a nasty shock, but on the other hand, I just reminded myself you know every time I got frustrated with Austin when he wouldn't sleep or wouldn't do this, or I kept thinking to myself, I wanted this, I wanted this, and it actually helped my parenting. Massively, but my experience is different to what other people's experience is. And I say this in the book your experience is whatever you want it to be. How you deal with it is up to you. If you need help, get help.
0: Well, it is a fabulous book with so much information in there. Congratulations. Thank you. It nearly killed me. I
1: got told once that I would um, give birth, to, that I would have three kids. Now, I've got two and I suspect that this book is my third and the giving birth process was fairly tough, but I'm wrapped It's out there now.
0: It's there. It's called If at First You Don't Conceive, Your Friendly Guide to Tackling Infertility and it is told with humour, humor, real stories, and it is very well researched. Liz, thanks for coming in. My pleasure. Thank you. That's Liz Ellis, author of If at First You Don't Conceive and we'll pop links up to where you can find the book on our website.